I was just thinking about the time. Some of you may remember, some of you were here when um, I guess we didn't have any heat. And we met out in the foyer there. And we were scrambling, finding chairs and or dragging chairs out. It was quite the experience. Uh, I was reminded of that because my hands were cold. And, uh, and as uh, we think about suffering, I, I'm not suffering with cold hands. There are saints, as Brother Mike mentioned in his prayer, that can't even meet publicly as we meet. So I consider those things. And considering um, salvation explained and salvation tested, considering trials, tribulations, and sufferings uh, that Peter uh, writes about, that we study and that we endure in some way, shape, or form this side of glory. And we continue our study in First Peter this evening. And let us go there. Let us read the scripture as far as our call to worship and as far as getting us back in from where we were a couple of weeks ago. Beginning in verse 1, 1 Peter chapter 1. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who reside as aliens scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, who are chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father by the sanctifying work of the Spirit, to obey Jesus Christ and be sprinkled with his blood. May grace and peace be yours in the fullest measure. There we have the introduction and the salutation. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who, according to his great mercy, has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. Reserved in heaven for you, Grace Covenant Church, uh, those who are born again. Reserved for us. Who are protected by the power of God through a faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. And our scripture for us this evening, beginning in verse 6, In this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials, so that the proof of your faith, being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And though you have not seen him, You love him, and though you do not see him now, but believe in him, you greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, obtaining as the outcome of your faith, excuse me, the salvation of your souls. With that, I will go to the Lord in prayer one more time. Father, we ask that you would help us this evening. Perhaps some of us are weary this day. Some of us are tired and well-rested, and in some ways that is a good thing. Ignite our hearts tonight. Um, Engage our minds, we ask. Help us to uh, hone in and to focus in on your word this evening. Teach us, we pray. 
Help us to understand what your word is saying. Help me to accurately proclaim your truth for the glory of Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. Again, we see in verse 3 through verse 12, really, salvation explained and salvation tested. Peter addresses his readers as aliens or exiles or pilgrims. We are pilgrims in this land. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11 says, Beloved, I urge you as aliens and strangers to abstain from fleshly lusts which wage war against your soul. So Peter repeats that we are indeed aliens, strangers, pilgrims, but we are also people chosen by God, purchased by uh, the redeeming blood of Christ. He has caused us to be born again. We have an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, which is unstained, and it will not fade away. An inheritance that will not fail, that will not be lost. It is reserved in heaven for you. And in this, you greatly rejoice. When we say, what do we greatly rejoice? In the fact that you were chosen, effectually called by his mercy, in his grace, that he has caused you to be born again. In this, we greatly rejoice that we have an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, that will not fade away, that is reserved, that is protected by the power of God. So the focus on verse 3 through 5 is a praise to God. Blessed be the Lord for the certain hope that he has given us. And then the focus on verse 6 through 9, this joy and love in the life of the believer, even in the midst of suffering and trials and tribulation. The Christian can rejoice now because of what God has done for us, what he continues to do in us and the promise of the inheritance that awaits us. We can have joy in this life and rejoice in this life regardless of our circumstances. Paul has something to say on this in Philippians. I'll read it for you. Chapter 4, verse 10 through 14. I thought I had the whole text written down, but I don't. So I will turn there. Chapter 4, verse 10 through 14. But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at last you have been revived, your concern, that you have revived your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned before, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak from want, for I've learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. I know how to get along with humble means, and I know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. So Paul knew of something about having joy or, or rejoicing or being content in whatever circumstances he was in. And that doesn't mean whatever we go through that... Um, that there isn't hard times. We understand we go through hard things. And as one elderly man used to remind me that the rocks still hurt. It is still painful, but we can still rejoice. Even though for now, for a little while, if necessary, 
You have been distressed by various trials. So these various trials, suffering, grief, trials, tribulations, these are not pleasant in themselves, and I don't have to tell any of you that, for we all have gone through them, or perhaps you're in a trial or a suffering right now at this time. It's painful. It's not a joyful thing. It's not that we click our heels in suffering and say, wow, this is great. No, but we rejoice and we can rejoice while suffering because of what? Well, we know it's for a little while, first. Secondly, it is necessary. Thirdly, it has purpose in our sanctification. And fourth, God has ordained it. As someone once said, there never yet was an unscarred saint. So how long is a little while? Well, when we suffer, it can seem like it lasts forever, right? When you're sick or when you're hurting, when you're broken, uh, when you've been uh, stabbed in the back, whatever it may be, it can seem like it lasts forever. How long is a little while? Well, a little while does not mean that it will be brief necessarily. It is a little while when we compare it to eternity. For eternity is eternal, right? It, is, uh, it, go, it goes on. We go on. But when we compare it to our future glory, our suffering now is a little while, even if it's lifelong. We are promised trials and tribulations in this life and suffering in this life. Some may last for a lifetime, but it does not last forever for the believer. Conversely, for one who dies without Christ, the suffering lasts forever. As Christians, we can rejoice while suffering, knowing that there is an end to it. We don't take joy in the pain, we have our joy in Christ. So we see, we, we know it's for a little while, the, the trials that we go through, the various trials, the sufferings we go through, and they are necessary, secondly. If God deems it necessary for a trial to come in our life, for a suffering to come in our life, it, it is necessary if God says it is necessary. Through many tribulations, we must enter into the kingdom of God. And that's what it says in, in Acts chapter 14. And Peter expounds on this further in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12 through verse 19. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you, which comes upon you for your testing, as though some strange things were happening to you. So first, we, we're not to be surprised at the fiery trial that comes our way, whatever it may be. It comes upon us for our testing. And not to think that it's some strange thing that is happening uh, to us. And as um, I was reminded recently, as Lindsay and I were, were talking about, some, some uh, Christians, when a trial comes or when a difficulty comes, immediately they go to prayer. They say, or they hear the news, or there's something that is said, and they say, let's pray about it right now. Uh, some of us uh, complain for a bit or uh, 
seek to navigate it through a bit, then we were reminded, oh, yes, yes, I should pray about this. But not to be surprised at the fiery ordeal that comes upon us, but to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing, the text says, so that at the revelation of his glory, you may rejoice with exaltation. And if you are reviled for the name of Christ, you are blessed. Consider that this week. Consider that when you go evangelizing. If you are reviled for the sake of Christ, for the name of Christ, indeed you are blessed. Because the spirit of glory in God rests on you. When you stand firm for the gospel, when you refuse to compromise, when others are compromising, and you're reviled because of it, you are blessed. But make sure that none of you suffers as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or a troublesome meddler. As Christians, we ought not, ought not to suffer as, as such. But if anyone suffers as a Christian, he's not to be ashamed, but is to glorify God in this name. For it is time for judgment to begin with the household of God. And if it begins with us first, what would be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if it is for difficulty that the righteous is saved, what will become of the godless man and the sinner? Therefore, those who, are, who suffer according to the will of God shall entrust their souls to a faithful creator in doing what is right. So, trials, necessary. If God deems it necessary, it is. Some questions we may ask, although, um, in trials, when a trial comes, when suffering comes, Questions we may ask, is there sin involved? Is there sin involved? This is hard examination. Uh, Is there sin I need to forsake? Is there a reason this is happening because of sin in my own life? Is there something that I have done? Sometimes that would be yes. Sometimes that would be no. There's nothing individually. Someone has a sin that you have brought this on. Okay, is there sin involved? Sin I need to forsake in this, O oh Lord. Secondly, did, did I bring this on with foolish decisions? Foolish decisions. Unnecessary choices that hinder our walk. Things that cloud our, or, or weigh us down. Cloud our thinking or weigh us down um, in, our, in our race that we're, we're to run faithfully. And we, choices we make that can hinder our walk. When we are, as a brother and I were talking about earlier, when we are magnetized to the world, when it draws us in and there's one, you get a little closer, you get a little closer, you get a little closer, and then it sucks you right in and you're magnetized to it. I, uh, there's a quote and I'm, that I thought of as I was uh, studying, and this is not an exact quote, I don't remember who said it, but it was a preacher at some time, somewhere, um, rephrasing it, but we consider foolish decisions, um, or we consider things, not necessarily foolish, but choices we make as Christians that could hinder uh, our walk, that could bring difficulty. A percentage of children in sports that will make it to the professionals is very, very low. 
a low percentage. You think of people in the NBA or uh, NFL, whatever it may be. Percentage of uh, children in sports today that are all in, that are going to make it, so to speak. That is a very low percentage. But the chance that they will stand before God is 100%. And so we consider that when we consider uh, how we raise our children. What is more important, um, especially on the Lord's Day? Unnecessary choices, not saying that uh, we cannot participate in sports or hobbies. We all have these things. However, is it a, a hindrance in the life of the believer or in the believer's family? That is a question that must be asked. The decisions that hinder our fellowship with the people in the church, with our brothers and sisters in Christ. So did I bring this on, O Lord, with foolish decisions, or foolish decision after foolish decision after foolish decision? Thirdly, a trial and a trial, a tribulation or in suffering. What do I need to learn from this? There's another question to ask. What can I learn from this? Rather than trying to worm out of it, it, there is no way out of this, oh Lord, I see that, I understand it, only you can get me uh, to help me in this situation. What do you want me to learn in this, God? And fourthly, will I learn from this? It's one thing to go through a, a, a trial, to go through suffering, or something that we even bring upon ourselves, and then we learn from it, and we say, never again. Never again will I dishonor the Lord in that way as best as I can before, as I walk before God. Learning from these. Sometimes it takes us more than once, though, doesn't it, to learn. We have to learn the hard way. Another question to ask is, how can I best glorify you, O Lord, in this? Even if uh, this we had skin in the game of bringing this trial in our lives. Lord, I see it now. I repent, God, I should not have brought, I should not have even made these choices. How can I best glorify you now, Lord, in this? We recognize a trial is not by accident. For whatever reason, Lord, we would say you brought this. Personal trials. We have trials that maybe we suffer through that is uh, a, a close to the heart or close to us. If you're married, you're, of course, your, your spouse, your one flesh, they go through it as well. If you have a family, uh, they're suffering there as well. Of course, a part of a local church. As brothers and sisters in Christ, we bear each other's burdens. And if they're suffering in the individual Christian's life, then it, it can hurt others as well. And we would come alongside someone who is, who is going through whatever so there's, there's personal trials, and then there's local church trials, right? There's tribulations that a, or sufferings that a church may go through. You know, a death of someone, uh, say someone, a member of our church, uh, goes home to be with the Lord tonight. And we would rejoice in where they are, but there would be suffering there as we would suffer loss and we would mourn. And then there's national trials as well, or, or national sufferings, tribulations, judgment on a nation. 
Uh, I am, this is my personal conviction, but I, I agree with, uh, personal opinion, I should say, I agree with John MacArthur that we're a nation under judgment. You see the state of the church in America overall, and you see what is inside the church that names the name of Jesus Christ, and what's coming from pulpits, and also the morality. That's another way you, you, you see that, you gauge that, and what is acceptable in the highest places in our nation, and what is being done to children. What do we do with that? We ask, we pray. Is it necessary that it is, this has come to this? Is it necessary? We're, well, uh, it, it has happened. It has taken place. A necessary trial for our nation. A necessary trial for us to, to walk through. There is also purpose in this suffering. As we consider trials, tribulations, or sufferings we go through, there is purpose in it. Distressed by trials of all kinds. Put to grief, made sorrowful, suffering, pain physically, emotionally, spiritually. There is grief and suffering. There is sorrow at times in various trials. Let's not minimize the pain and the heartache. But God has deemed it necessary. Necessary trials, the purpose in sufferings. And in verse 7, answers the question of the why in suffering. Verse 7, the question of the why in suffering. So that the proof of your faith being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. The why of suffering for believers, so that the proof of your faith, the genuineness of of one's faith is tested and proven. It is under the magnifying glass saying, is this the real deal? Is this genuine? It is to be proven. And we see in Matthew 13, uh, the, the sower, uh, the tares among wheat, we have the sower explained as Jesus spoke, as Jesus taught in parables. He gave an explanation. And then I will just summarize here in Matthew 13, beginning in verse 18. Hear the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is the one on whom seed was sown beside the road. The one on whom seed was sown on the rocky places This is the man who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. These various foundations, these various soils. Yet he has no firm root in himself, but it is only temporary. And when affliction or persecution arises because of the word, immediately he falls away. It wasn't real. And the one whose seed was sown among the thorns, this is the man who hears the word. And the worry of the world and the deceitfulness of wealth chokes the word and it becomes unfruitful. It wasn't real. And the one on whom seed was sown on the good soil, this is the man who hears the word and understands it, who indeed bears fruit and brings forth some a hundredfold, some sixty, and some thirty. So we see this, the proof of our faith being more precious than gold, which is 
perishable. James says something similar. Consider it joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And Paul says something similar. I'll just read it for you from Romans 5. And beginning in verse 1, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we exult in hope of the glory of God. And not only this, but we also exult in our tribulations, knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance, and perseverance proving character, and proving character hope. And hope does not disappoint, because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. So I lost my place here. Almost found it. Back in 1 Peter. How How it is proven. Gold and faith are both proved by fire. Never really tested gold by fire, but that's what I read. Um, Not that I have a bunch of gold coins laying around or anything. Fire tests gold. Affliction or afflicting fire tests the faith. Proverbs 17.3, the refining pot is for silver, the furnace for gold, but the Lord tests hearts. In James chapter 1, verse 12, Blessed is a man who perseveres under trial. For once he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Alan Stibbs points out, just as men used fire to distinguish true gold from counterfeit, so God uses trials to distinguish genuine faith from superficial profession. And we saw that in the sower. We read that in Matthew 13. We've known people like that. We have walked with people like that. When trial and tribulation comes, their profession of faith proves to be um, not real. It proves to be a false. They fall away. They want nothing to do with the Lord, nothing to do with the church, and they sadly may fall away. But even though tested by fire, our faith may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Gold, a precious metal. Precious metal then, a precious metal now, yet it is perishable. But our faith, even tested by fire, is imperishable because it is protected by God. So that the proof of your faith, being more precious, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. This praise could be vertical, a man's praise to God. Some theologians would say it that way. Or it could be the result of faithful endurance, genuine faith. And in God's sight, on the day of judgment, when when Jesus Christ is revealed, it seems the, the latter, the, the second, is, is most consistent with Peter's train of thought and his focus on our future inheritance, a salvation 
ready to be revealed in the last time. Paul seems to concur with this in Romans chapter 2 and 1 Corinthians chapter 4. God is the refiner of hearts. A final examination, a, a final judgment is coming, and Peter has something to say about this as well in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 10. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, in which the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat, and the earth and its works will be burned up. Since all these things are to be destroyed in this way, what sort of people ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be destroyed by burning and the elements will melt with intense heat. But according to his promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace, spotless and blameless. Final examination. Judgment and rewards. First Peter 1.13 Prepare your minds for action. Keep sober in spirit, Christian. Fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not see him now, but believe in him. Those in Asia Minor that uh, Peter wrote to, all of those areas, all of those churches, all of those individuals that were there, it seems to be here that they have not, from what Peter says, they have not met him face to face, as Peter did. But neither have we. They did not see him. We do not see him. But... We believe in him by faith. Believe in him, we greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory. And, in, and though you have not seen him, you love him. Present tense, love. Peter is encouraging them in their love for Jesus Christ. He is affirming it. You love him. He is precious to you. And that would be for us as believers as well. Remember the account of Thomas in, in John 20. Thomas was not present when Jesus appeared to his disciples after his resurrection. And Judas was not there either. He hung himself. But Thomas was there when Jesus appeared after eight days. It does not say if Thomas actually did touch the wounds. It does not matter. What matters is his repentance and confession when he says, My Lord and my God. I feel compelled to read this section of Scripture in John 20, 24 through 31. But Thomas, one of the twelve called Didymus, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples were saying to him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see his hands, 
the imprint of the nails and put my finger into the place of the nails and put my hand into his side. I will not believe, he said. After eight days, his disciples were again inside and Thomas with them. Jesus came, the doors having been shut and stood in their midst and said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, reach here with your finger and see my hands and reach here with your hand and put your hand in my side and do not be unbelieving, but believe. Thomas answered and said to him, my Lord and my God. And Jesus said to him, because you have seen me, have you believed? Blessed are they who did not see and yet believe. We are included. We trust in the testimony of Scripture. We bow the knee to Jesus and we believe by his grace. We greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory. This brings back to rejoicing again, no matter what. A joy that we can only express in part. It is inexpressible and full of glory. This glorified joy obtaining as the outcome of our faith the salvation of your souls or our souls, receiving the result, the outcome of our faith, salvation, final redemption. As believers, we ought to rejoice because of our hope of the outcome of our faith, the salvation of our souls. Something we rejoice in now, but will experience fully at the revelation of Jesus Christ. This tension we live in now of the already and not yet. The world does not understand rejoicing as the Christian does. The world can celebrate things. We can celebrate things. But the world, the unbeliever, does not understand rejoicing as the Christian does. Does not understand contentment as the Christian can and and should and and often does. Luther said, the Christian ought to be a living doxology. Consider that quote from Martin Luther this week. The Christian ought to be a living doxology. This rejoicing, this praising God. There are reasons for our trials, our tribulations, for the suffering we go through. Oftentimes we ask why, we may question why. Sometimes we get, we get the answers. Sometimes and oftentimes we don't. But we trust in the Lord and what He is doing. The storms of life no more indicate the absence of God than clouds indicate the absence of the sun. And sometimes we can see a trial coming, just like we you could see now that what will supposedly be a Category 4 hurricane heading towards Florida. You can see it coming. It, it's intense. It will be there. It will reach there in some way, shape, or form. Oftentimes in our lives, we can see, okay, there's, there's pain coming in this, but more oftentimes we don't. It's just dropped. There it is. We're in a... We're suffering for some reason, a trial for some reason. But God is faithful and he sees us through and he deems it necessary 
And we can rejoice because of who he is, because of what he has done for us, because of what he has made us, and because of the salvation that he has made possible for us as we trust in him and him alone. Let us pray. God, again, you are sovereign in all things. We are here tonight by your decree, by your plan, as we study 1 Peter chapter 1, rejoicing and testing. Some of us may be tested in some ways now. We may not even realize it, Lord. But we know that um, the world is watching we know that your, your word gives us how we are to respond. And you have given us your Holy Spirit. Lord, and oftentimes or sometimes we don't respond as we ought in the midst of testing or trial. Help us, dear Lord. And we don't know what the tomorrow may bring, but you know, O oh God, and you see us through. You love us. You sent your Son, Jesus Christ, to die for us. Help us to have hearts that draw near to you and have a deep love for you and for your people. In Jesus' name, amen.